Hello and welcome to Coin Talk, a lovely sunny day in this crypto spring. I'm Aaron Lammer. My co-host to join me shortly is Jay Kang. Great show for you today. I can feel the reunified energy. Uh, we're brought to you by Medium. Medium makes it easy to read about crypto. In fact, so easy that you should probably give five bucks a month and become a member. All right, let's do this. This episode of Coin Talk was taped Monday, April 15th at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Bitcoin price index was $5,007. Jay, hello. Hello. It's been a couple of weeks. I, I heard your intro, and yep. I was going to ask, do you think it's really spring, or do you think that we're in some spring-ish plateau period right now? I think of this like Groundhog's Day, where there's a multiplicity of possible fates in front Wait, of us. A, but Groundhog's what? Day is in February. That's like straight in the winter. Oh, is yeah, it? Yeah, it's like Look, February. So you can't it's expect like, me to know when Groundhog's Day is. I thought Groundhog's Day was like right as winter went into spring. I think it's spring. literally February 2nd, which I guess in some places would be that. But So I, I guess the only question would be like we've been around 5,000, but sort of ranging between 5,000 and 5,300 for a few weeks now. Yeah. And generally the interesting thing about crypto, I guess, over the past year is that we seem to have these like – it's not really just like an up-down roller coaster. There's just like a jolt, and then it stops for a while. Are you concerned at all about what's going on? Because uh, I don't know if people on the show know now, but like you're not the only one right now on our show who's invested in the price of cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin, as I am now a partial coiner. Are we going to talk about where your coins came from later? <laughs> we can talk about it now if you want. But yeah, I, I now have like... I would not say a significant amount of skin in the game, but I do have enough where if the price of Bitcoin went down, I would be upset. Okay, so you weren't you weren't here for last week's show, which is great because if you had been here, I would have made fun of your bet and been like, "Oh, what that is like the ultimate sucker's bet." You like you probably get terrible odds because everyone wants to make that yeah. bet. What what was the bet? Uh, I bet <laughs> a reasonable amount of Bitcoin. That Tiger Woods would win the Masters. <laughs> well, that was what, about 14 to 1? It was a little bit less than that because I bet it every day. And because he was doing well, those odds kept going down, obviously, because he was actually in contention. Oh, I see. So you, you bet Tiger again when he was like down two strokes? I bet him every single day, yeah. Mm. But, and then I bet him... As part of like a four-team parlay that hit, which is outrageous. I bet him with like the Orioles to beat the Red Sox. I think it was like, I forget, it was some soccer game where it was like plus 180 and then some other sport. I don't even remember what the fourth sport was. I th Oh, the Nets to beat the Sixers in the first half and all that hit. So uh, I now have like a reasonable amount of cryptocurrency. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we were gonna if 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 the uh, if the Kang line didn't do it, gambling. Would. Yeah, yeah. So we've got both of your original castmates here back in the hunt. Should we be worried about the bags we're holding right now? Personally, I feel very optimistic, but I do also feel that way. You feel like in the sports movie where when things start going better and they're setting you up to like fully pull the. That's out. how I kind of like, feel. 
we haven't clearly had the full car like the full carpet pull was a drop way below the Kang line. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It was like it hit the Kang line and then it dropped forty percent more, which always felt like it was in play. That like dropped to a thousand. Yeah, well that so that was my you know, when everybody was like, Oh, it's gonna go to a thousand because XYZ, like there's no support line and like all the technical analysis stuff. But then when that was paired with my sort of dumb psychological analysis being like who really supports us anymore? Like I felt like it was gonna go down to a thousand, but but as as you know, I got swept up in all the sort of euphoria over Alt Spring and then Alt Spring died when Bitcoin came charging and then it became Bitcoin Spring. And uh, I guess enough time has passed where it's been sitting at five thousand that I am once again worried that it's just going to crash back down, and uh, all my Tiger Woods hard-earned faith and belief in him in the Masters will have been for naught, or at least will be have been for less than I thought it was at the beginning. What does give me some faith is if the signal that we really pay the most attention to is other people starting to get interested in Bitcoin again. Wait, do we pay do we pay attention to that? I pay attention to that one. I'm feeling a little bit of like uh, Bitcoin is becoming like more pop culturally present again. Where do you see the evidence of that? Well, of course the movie Crypto. <laughs> straight to what was that? It was like straight to streaming, right? I feel like a lot of movies are straight to streaming. I know. To, I, I, not, I'm not, I don't think it's dirty to be straight to streaming did anymore. We, did you have you seen that? Yet. I have not. I have not watched it yet. I feel like we should probably watch it for the show. Do you show. feel like you're going to watch it? Well, we're gonna watch. Let's just commit to both watching it, and then we'll watch okay, it. Okay, I'll watch it. I mean, it's not like torture. It's like a like weird money laundering thriller. Yeah, honestly, I would rather watch that than watch like a movie that was nominated for an Oscar that is, or like an independent hit or something like that. I I think I'd rather just watch a dumb Kurt Russell movie that is funny because it's about Bitcoin. All right, let's watch it. Okay, so uh, Jay has uh, checked into the show with his generally uh, negative opinion of everything, which somehow somehow that take um, went from insulting to independent movies to complimentary to crypto. So I'll take it. Well, what is the what's the uh, what else? Where else have you seen it other than this Kurt Russell movie that came out? I've just kind of heard like our again our numbers are going up. I've heard from a few other podcasters that like it, it's just a feeling. Okay. A few people have asked me anecdotally about it okay i don't doubt that people people seem a little more interested in the like explain bitcoin to me question than they were a couple months ago okay okay all right jay maybe the biggest spite story of the year in crypto this week let me guess who this involves one of your favorite figures probably if i was to get to draw a jay kang crypto power ranking is it fair to say cz is in your top three? Oh, for sure CZ is like, I feel like he's the only person in, he's the only big person in crypto, like in big crypto, you know, and with that I'm talking about people like, oh, I don't know, like uh, like the guy who ran all the mining in China whose name I'm blanking on for some reason, or like uh, Roger Ver, or or even like... Jihan Wu, is that yeah, who you're Jihan talking Wu. about? Or even like the people in, in Bitcoin core. Those guys, none of those people are cool. CZ is the only person in crypto at that level who seems to have a sense of humor. You know, like he's the only one that that I think is has a little bit of troll in him, and uh, who kind of thinks all of this is funny, and he thinks it's kind of funny that he's now super rich. And that those are the types of rich people I enjoy. Those people who have some sense of like 
perspective on it and just kind of think this is wow this is all crazy this is happening to me cz seems like the only crypto person like that well he's like i feel like there's like a whole culture of people in crypto who are like i'm like some kind of a character in a william gibson novel it's like eh, no no yeah. you just have like a dirty beard and a trench <laughs> yeah, coat you're like that guy that guy is like a character in a william gibson really novel is. like he literally like lives as like a two-letter acronym. <laughs> He's like super mysterious. I don't really know that much about him. He seems simultaneously like unprofessional and deeply in control at the same time. It's weird. All these other exchanges of this magnitude have had these kind of weird like white knuckle grip moments where like you're like, oh god, like Brian Armstrong is gonna lose control of Coinbase with all his insider trading, ah! and like. CZ never seems like he's like sweating. Yeah, yeah. You know the scene in the social network where Mark Zuckerberg puts like, I'm the CEO bitch. And the point in the movie is yes. that like he's sort of play acting this, you know, this like cool guy who doesn't care about anything and who is just rolling with the punches but is totally in control. I think CZ is like the real version of that in crypto. Now, we don't know anything about him, so he could be totally different or he could be a psychopath, but at least that's what he emanates. And I actually think that's why it actually helps Binance. It makes Binance actually seem like the cool exchange that people are actually making money on and that has actually some sense of security and isn't just a scam. I think I think a lot of his cult of personality is working. Well, I mean, the BNB coin is clearly working. I think it's like the number seven currency, like number seven market cap right now. And it's an interesting like signal that sends because like the signal that Coinbase is always sending to me is we would prefer that Bitcoin lose and we would prefer some sort of like Silicon Valley, like re-educate yourself at zero X earning uh, camp mindset comes in. And the the effect that BNB coin has on me is making me think that like, no, this is the product. Yeah. Like we're not trying to build this so we can IPO it or like resell it to like venture capitalists we're actually just like we're trying to make money on binance like we started our own coin it's a way to make money yeah and it's like uh, another coin that has very very little like what does it do it like makes it so that trades are cheaper or something like that basically well the the major thing about it is it's truly a super airdrop festival coin on some level because what they convert your dust so like if you have like a little tiny bit of uh, bitcoin leftover after a transaction which you almost always do like it's almost impossible not to get left with dust i believe correct me if i'm wrong you have the option of to convert that dust into bnb and lots of you it's done at some sort of a preferred way so that you get like a little bit of airdrop festival inside your airdrop festival if you know what i'm saying and uh everyone wins and uh that's how you make the number seven coin i guess it's basically like the crypto equivalent of like um, like Coinstar in a supermarket. Yeah. Which is also a great business that IPO'd. Coinstar IPO'd. Oh, yeah. But aren't they... Publicly traded. Aren't they doing something else now outside of... Uh, they? I think they're also maybe in the like DVD rental game or something. Uh, Coinstar, good Lord. Those are the days. I, I definitely had a few very necessary trips to Coinstar, as I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast have had, where I was like, I don't have any money. <laughs> Time to t- time to empty these coffee cans into this uh, into Coinstar and pay like a fourteen percent fee or whatever it is. Okay, so we didn't actually tell the CZ story. Yeah, what is going on? With, tell me what's going on with CZ. It's a really complicated story. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try to tell it as concisely as I can. 
All right, so the story starts with Craig Wright. You know Craig Wright. He's a notorious supervillain on this show. Uh, Craig Wright, for many, many, many years, has been claiming to be Satoshi. He's pretty resoundingly humiliated a few years ago, but it's kind of like peripherally stayed around, um, resurfacing pretty heavily when Bitcoin Cash split in half into Satoshi's vision and ABC. It's possible that ABC is calling itself something different now, but he p- was partnered up with Calvin Ayer. Yeah. Is that, am I pronouncing that correctly? Who is a, uh, Jay, an entrepreneur after your own heart, uh, the uh, founder of Bodog, yeah. the gambling website, and a pretty despicable person overall. Uh, I think that's fair. <laughs> lives in Antigua. And so basically, ever since Calvin Ayer and Craig Wright have been pumping Satoshi's vision the only way they know how, by stirring up controversy. What's the controversy? So basically, they've been going around this week saying that they're going to sue anyone who says that Craig Wright is not Satoshi and demanding that, like, sending legal letters to people, demanding that they, like, retract their tweets that he's a fraud and apologize to him. Uh, how do- this is, like... Very, like, old-school troll. I feel like this is, like, um, facts-era trolling. Uh, how does that even work? Like, it's, it's like, I mean, I, I don't really even understand how you would do that. Like, you would have, you're basically asking to prove a negative They just there. have a, like, spammy lawyer who's, like, spamming out quasi-DMCA notices telling people to take down tweets and apologize for them and saying that it's libel to say that Craig Wright is not Satoshi unless... You can demonstrably prove that he's not Satoshi. Good lord! I, mean, I have a pretty like open and almost borderline libertarian vision of how these things should work and what you know. I feel like generally people under free speech should be able to, you know, file frivolous lawsuits as long as it doesn't completely derail the legal system. But this feels like one of those where if you if you uh, if you sue somebody, they should immediately be able to countersue you over it. I mean, it's a dumb. Well, thing in I mean, the, world. the other thing is. These guys are in. These guys are in Antigua. Let's not act like this actually interfaces with, with any real legal so system, you, or like there's any threat that any of these suits <laughs> will actually come to trial or go anywhere. This is basically the equivalent of like spamming everyone who's talked shit about you with a like, "I will totally sue you unless you apologize to me right now." You have five days, <laughs> sir. Like yeah. that. That's basically that. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. We have definitely done this. At least five times on this podcast. They've I'm a little insulted yeah. that we have not been contacted, but so was Peter McCormick from what Bitcoin did. So he made a point of saying, you're a fraud, sue me, you're a fraud, sue me, until eventually they sent him a letter. Uh, that touched off a grassroots uh, campaign of everyone changing the name of their Twitter handle to Hodel Knot, who was, I think, the first person who was served with legal papers, and uh, or maybe just the most prominent. And then there was a uh, subsequent uh, D-list uh, BSV, uh, Satoshi's Vision movement, that resulted in uh, CZ, the head of Binance, delisting the uh, the entire fork. And I'm looking again now, it was down over 10% earlier today when I looked. Good Lord. Wow. It brings up a lot of interesting issues, though, like about the power and centralization of exchanges themselves. 
Yeah, well, I mean, like, I mean, uh, these guys are easy to cheer against. But like, if we weren't just so deeply cheering against them, what does it mean that like CZ can basically tank a coin willy nilly? Well, could they? Like, ten percent is really not that much, right? Fourteen percent now. Oh, fourteen percent now. Well, that's more. And that's on a day I think Bitcoin went up. So the overall split is about it's lost maybe fifteen. Okay, can I ask you a follow up question then? Sure. Who are the people who are keeping Bitcoin SV afloat? Like, does it have a does it have a core of people outside of Craig Wright and uh, Calvin Air who believe in it? I think it's a pretty limited pool of people, and I would think that it's just people who are holding big bags who somehow bought into this vision and can't leave, which you could say is a parable for Bitcoin holding as a whole, that we're all just sitting around because we can't leave because we bought our into uh, our specific version of the cult. But this is like the tiniest version of the cult that's like living in the cave outside of town, and you're like, are there more than three or four of you in there? I just see some raggedy old men with beards. <laughs> yeah, well, that's all I have. Like, I would think that 100% of Bitcoin SV is held by Calvin Air and uh, Craig Wright. Deeply possible. And, like, four other people. And maybe all it was was, like, the 14% of people who had SV, maybe they just sold it because of this thing. I don't quite—I can never quite figure out what's going on in that corner of the crypto world at this point. You know, it doesn't—it it feels a little anachronistic and weird to me. You know, like, everybody else— has sort of moved on to different ideas within crypto, and these guys are still arguing over the same things and endlessly forking crypto or endlessly yeah, forking Bitcoin. Yeah, they're kind of Bitcoin. like a like, weird, like, we're like, we're a gutter hardcore band, dude. That is not what you do in gutter yeah, hardcore. Yeah, it's like exactly. got to be this like very specific regional punk like offshoot, and like at this point, it's just like two bands arguing with each yeah, other. And, and it's like, You've lost the thread here. No, no one knows what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. Also, even. like everyone else moved on, and you guys are like, it's like two guys in the comment section screaming at each other at a blog post. It's like six months old, you know. And they, yeah. Every day they sign on, I mean, they're whoa, like, they don't care that nobody else is engaging with them anymore. They're just yelling at each other. I've been in a few. Of I feel like, I feel like this is like maybe aimed at crypto fans who were like too young to have experienced Craig Wright claiming he was Satoshi the first time. And it's like a little bit of like a comeback tour where he's like, I'm still claiming I'm Satoshi. Did anyone definitively prove that he, I guess that is a definition of proving a negative, but is it proven that he's not Satoshi? No, I mean, that's what he, that, that's what he's like. He's like, no one's proved I'm not Satoshi. At the last moment when he like had said, I'm going to prove it this way, he failed to produce the keys. So does that, definitively mean he's not Satoshi? I mean, I can't empirically say it, but given the opportunity to prove that he was Satoshi with, like, people watching, he failed. Do you think there's a higher chance that Craig Wright is Satoshi or Dorian Nakamoto is Satoshi? Dorian Nakamoto. Because we don't know... (laughs) We know hardly anything about Dorian Nakamoto. Do you think there's a higher chance that Dorian Nakamoto is Satoshi or Elon Musk is Satoshi? Elon Musk, who came out in favor of Bitcoin, uh, in some weird cryptic tweets this week. So. I, I th- those I would put in like a similar camp. Yeah, I'm, I, Elon Musk is like highest percentage chance if it's a famous person. And also, if you read all of Craig Wright's like complaints about this stuff, he's so cowardly that he also frames it in all this language where he's like, "You can't prove I'm not part of a team or organization that may have contributed to Satoshi's projects," and it's like. 
come on, dude. Here's what's gonna happen. When all the when if it, it ever is revealed what really happened, Craig Wright gonna be like, I was at a meeting with that guy and we like talked about it over beers. Like he's just gonna like keep like scamming. That's all he does. Yeah. And sadly we're like four months off from the what was supposed to be the release of Excerpt Toshi's book. And so we don't even have that anymore. Craig Wright and those like John McAfee and all of that, it, it like all those guys who are sort of who were the crypto entertainment a year ago. I actually find it interesting that they've been so thoroughly marginalized and crypto is still here. I guess it's a bullish sign for crypto and Bitcoin that it didn't sort of die off with those guys' reputations, although it certainly was hurt by it. But man. I mean, D list half lives are pretty yeah. short. Like with all these guys, I'm like, you can only do the I'm gonna chop my dick off if X stunt so many times or the I'm Satoshi stunt so many times. You can't just like keep running these back and expect to get the same response each time. It's just a law of trolling that like people get sick of you. And also these men are like, I don't know, they're all looking kind of haggard. Yeah. Like these are like weird, like Jake Paul kind of stunts. I know. I'm talking about the whole lot of them. McAfee. Like Craig, right? These guys are like cruising around the Caribbean, throwing like bikini booty shaking, like BSV parties. It's just like, oh, you guys, like this is bottoming. Yeah, yeah. Like, just give it up. <laughs> yeah. You're you're rich. You're like all these people are already rich. I know, but I think that they have very little to sort of like. So much of their identity is tied up in Bitcoin. Yep. It's kind of like how, you know, like a professional athlete that stays on too long and there's part of you that can be like, hey, why are you, why do you keep playing and embarrassing yourself? You know, just retire. And I think their answer is almost always the same, which is like, well, I still think I got it, you know? And then the other part of it, which is the true part, is just like, I don't know who I am if I'm not this person, you know? And I think that's probably true of Craig Wright. And it's like, I still have a 0.1% chance of becoming the richest man on earth. And don't don't try and take that dream away from me until I'm dead in my grave. I, I will say, I don't think I have that problem. Like, if I became super rich and, you know, and people are like... You would just gamble it all People away. are like, hey, would you like to write a magazine article and stay stay in the game? Or like, would you like to record a podcast? I'd be like, no, I'm okay. <laughs> No, but I bet you would still be like trolling on Twitter. Oh yeah, I would definitely be doing like, that. Like that's yeah. the thing. You, you you would still like be like, okay, I still have some things to say about my en- my enemies. I mean, yes, I'm a billionaire, but like I still have some criticism. Yes, but I, I would not be throwing a booty shaking party to to uh, announce the launch of my new publication. No, let's just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so after uh, Binance delisted it, uh, Shapeshift said they're going to delist it. Uh, Kraken did a poll about whether they should delist it, and it was uh, 75% affirmative. So there's going to be a ripple effect here. Where, um, no pun intended, uh, a non-ripple effect. There may be an effect here where uh, BSV gets literally written out of the crypto exchange internet. Like Darkris, your, uh, your favorite Yeah, coin. much like Darkris. <laughs> what does that mean? I mean, like, how decentralized is a system if a few heads, like-minded heads of exchanges can get together and basically crush something. Well, I would say that they can't in some ways, right? Like, I don't know if yep. BSV actually works or doesn't work, but I assume it works. And let's assume it works, right? Big old blocks. 
giant bl- Jay, the biggest blocks you ever seen. The biggest blocks ever made. If we uh, if we if we both had this big block coin and we decided to send it to each other, we could, right? Like we could Sure. We could figure out a way and we could figure out what the value was based on some sort of calculations that we did and it would still work, but we would have no way of doing it. Like not to go back to our baseball card analogy, but it would be similar to if like Beckett baseball card uh, pricer no longer existed and we're just like, well, I got these pieces of cardboard. I have no idea what they're worth, so let's figure out some value system for it. And that, I don't know, that does mean that the, the exchanges hold quite a bit of of leverage. I mean, they could, like, what if they all stop, like, let's, let, BSV is a ridiculous example, but, like, let's say that uh, there is some sort of, like, spite war going on between CZ, with, who, you know, obviously has a real interest in BNB, and he got really mad at Joseph Lubin because, you know, Lubin said something about, or got mad at Vitalik and decided to just not list Ethereum anymore. Like, he could definitely do that, right? And uh, would Ethereum suffer from that? Yeah, maybe. Well, it really only suffers if the whole industry, like if the whole class of exchanges all decide to delist at once. So there's almost like a checks and balances system yeah. here where each exchange is getting a vote. And probably losing one exchange isn't going to destroy you. But if you get voted down by all the exchanges, they can destroy you. It almost makes like CZ, Brian Armstrong, Jesse Powell, et cetera, like the Supreme Court of coin cancellation. <laughs> yeah. uh, but this is, I was like, in their defense, this is the only one that they've done this with, right? Like they haven't. They yeah, haven't yeah, no, they, they had to be pushed. They're not like making judgments willy yeah. nilly. They're like, you have to be a real asshole. Before we'll even consider doing it. And I this. think that there's enough competing interest between all of them where that would be very difficult to do. Um, now, if, if any of them gain way more power in the way that Coinbase had two years ago, you know, where it literally is the interface for an entire country, then that's a bigger problem. And that's why people had a problem with Coinbase or even with like BitHum and Korea or whatever, was that like it was, they basically had a monopoly on the entire market. But I think this system is actually kind of healthy in that sort of way. You know, like if somebody is acting totally crazy and is like has a clear scam product, then they can at least get rid of it together. I mean, it's it's amazing that you have to be a huge, like you, it's Craig Wright and Calvin Air have to be the biggest assholes imaginable to inspire a bunch of strident libertarians to all conclude we should censor those people. Like, You've really pushed it too far. Everyone's like, nah, it was fucked up. Just get out of here. Leave this party. Nah, we, you should get They all had to collectively do the, I'm a libertarian, but in this one instance, yeah. <laughs> I believe totally in free market. My views on freedom do not extend to Calvin Ayer's Antiguan compact. <laughs> yeah, both of you are the <laughs> exception. We will make one exception and it's you. Yeah. yeah. That's that seems like what happened. But congratulations to them. I don't know, like suing everyone who dares to say what is true. It's crazy. And, you know, those people shouldn't be running something that carries A, Satoshi's name, and B, continue to keep running out this weird bankrupt image of, like, uh, that they are the true purveyors of all of this. I don't, we talked about this in the live podcast that we did. Like, you know, does, uh, does Satoshi still have an effect on Bitcoin? And I got to say, even over the time that has passed since then, I feel like the yes answer to that question has been, like, just every month that passes, Satoshi matters less and less. 
And uh, I'm a little surprised about that. I thought that he would still have a bit of a hold even at this point. But I just, like, nobody even talks about him. I'm going to take the opposite tack there. I, I feel like the, the each month Satoshi sort of looms larger and larger because the anomaly of starting a coin and it working becomes more and more improbable that it lasted so long. It's a little bit like the way that, like, in a religion, it's like, hey, the first 50 years is going to look like a cult. But give it a couple of year, hundred years, and it's all going to seem mythological and like it was preordained. I know. Oh, that might be, that might be true in some <laughs> ways, but I, I just think that normal people care less. That may be true. It is true that, like, people know, like, I never hear anyone wondering about who Satoshi is Maybe that's is what anymore. it is now. Are we the only people who are still curious? Uh, all the journalists I know who are interested in that question no longer are interested in that question. And I don't know why that is. I still think it's a huge story if you can break it. And uh, like we've talked about this before, but the you know it has enough clues where it feels like you should be able to break it. But um, and there are definitely people who do know. You know, like I don't buy this idea that nobody knows who it was. Well, that's what that's what I always think. It's like the reason I don't believe that nine eleven conspiracy could possibly be true is that no one could keep that secret. I sort of believe that there could be a real conspiracy about Satoshi because these are the kind of people who could keep and the secret. And it might only be two people who need to keep the secret, you know? And one of half dozen. And one of them is Satoshi. So, I don't know. It would be interesting to see. If Bitcoin really died, I feel like that's when we would know. You know, like if it was trading at $11 and there was no activity at all on the chain, then I think somebody would just come out and say it. But, you know, we're nowhere close to that right now, so... Uh, people are still incentivized. No, Bitcoin feels pretty strong. Like, I I have to say, like, some of this stuff, like, feels like, I mean, mostly I don't care about Craig Wright and Calvin Air, but, like, it's sort of like Hunger Games. Like, when each, like, person gets picked off, that makes the market leader a little bit stronger or, like, the person who's, like, got the highest chance of winning a little bit higher percentage chance of winning. And I do feel like if this winter has done anything... It's thinned the herd a little bit. Yes, the shit coins still have money in them, but I feel like no one thinks that any of these coins out there right now are going to overtake Bitcoin. No one believes that. Uh, yeah, now, especially since Ethereum is kind of struggling. I'd much rather take a bet of a coin that does not exist yet right now passes Bitcoin than I would take the bet of the entire non-Bitcoin field overtaking Bitcoin. Oh, yeah, I don't think that's close. I mean, I, I think Ethereum is, has peaked and is on its way down, and I don't know what could revitalize it. And somebody will just make a better version of it and have no interest in calling it Ethereum. And, you know, those, those things probably already exist right now. It, it kind of makes me want to speculate on a whole bunch of new altcoins. You know how when you go into Seamless, you can, like, hit new restaurants? Yeah. Yeah. You just want that new, new. Does it seem like there is less new new there than there was a year ago? I felt like I heard about some new coin on Bitrex like every week. When was the last time you and I got like shilled a coin? Because you can't someone? ICO anymore, really. That's why <laughs> you can't scam people anymore. So they filtered out <laughs> the scams and there's no one here. Yeah, anymore. exactly. The party's empty. Uh, do you want to talk about PewDiePie? Yeah, let's one quick last one. I mean, I think we've talked about this issue before, but no one this famous has actually gone for it yet. So uh, PewDiePie is the number one uh, YouTube channel. Uh, he's also a meme. It's that dude who shot up 
a mosque in uh, New Zealand said his name. He's, uh, he's everywhere. And he is leaving YouTube uh, to stream exclusively on DLive, which is a decentralized platform that has some kind of a token tipping viewership situation that I didn't really look very deeply into and I'm sure is not very mature. But basically, he's going over there. He's getting a bunch of tokens. He'll be giving out tokens on the show. People will be tipping him tokens. It's going to be a great time for everyone. Um, what is his official reason for doing that? He's t- sick of being censored by YouTube or he's sick of like YouTube being changing the monetization stuff and he just wants like a... Something platform. along those lines. I don't think he said literally censorship, but more like, you know, I don't know if you watch these big volume YouTube channels, but I feel like a lot of their complaints are about like videos getting demonetized. And I think his argument is, I, I watched the video, if I could summarize his argument was, well, my videos are all getting demonetized anyway, so I might as well like have control over my own destiny at DLive or something. They like must that. be paying him a ton of money. As I was like, I was like, this must be a good like. He must have like half of the D Live. Yeah, and uh, they must have paid him some upfront, outrageous amount of money to do this because obviously this is a bad idea for PewDiePie. You know, <laughs> like this thing, this, yeah. this type of thing has never worked really well for anybody except like I guess like Howard Stern going to serious right air or something yeah. like that. I think that would be the like the biggest comparison. Like if anyone could pull it off, it would be him, and it's not. It's not an Alex Jones things where you're just taking like an audience of like cranks and like selling them boner pills. It's real teenagers and young people who watch PewDiePie who might be pulled over to this, just like Howard Stern pulled in lots of people who would never otherwise subscribe to satellite radio. So I almost could see it working. I think it's a crazy move for PewDiePie though. What is he doing? Yeah, well, that's why I like, I think. If this doesn't work, he probably has some out in his contract where he can leave. He must. But, like, I, I just, PewDiePie feels kind of over for me in some ways. I'm sure the numbers don't reflect that, but. Are you a PewDiePie watcher? Oh, yeah, but I do watch a lot of video game YouTube. I, I, I watch his channel. And I would say that I think that he at least, at the very least, has a lot of competition now where he didn't a few years ago. It's, it's like, you know, like. When people leave ESPN with very, very few exceptions, for example, they all, most of them just flounder. It's very hard to like yeah. take your audience with you somewhere. Uh, if the platform itself has some sort of cachet or people just tune into the platform itself. I, I'm actually really curious about how many people watch PewDiePie because it's suggested and how many people would follow him there. Uh, I imagine that the number is much higher than it is with other people. You know, but the number might also not be as high as it is with, say, Jordan Peterson, who is another person who suggested doing this because, like, he has really dedicated fans. I just don't know. What does decentralized mean, too? Like, do you you have any idea what DLive's decentralized pitch is? Um, As I understand it, it's just like a token and decentralized hosting scheme. I don't think there's anything, like, particularly surprising about it. It looks like a... YouTube window, more or less. But this also feels a little bit like a reflection on YouTube, which is there's this like chronic insecurity where you can have the number one YouTube channel and you still have no control over your business. They can delist things. They can demonetize things. So you have someone who really should be 
you know, if you're the number one streamer in the world, not only should you be making a lot of money, you should reasonably assume that you're like have a pretty stable business. Um, I wonder if he looks at D Live and is like, even with one one hundredth of the audience, I can make more money doing this. Uh, I think he's probably mad at YouTube and. You know, this is a way of sort of holding them ransom in some sort of way, don't you think? I wonder how long he gives it. Like, how long, if you're PewDiePie, how many shows do you give a chance to D-Live? 30? Something like that, I would say. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, it's trying to recapture lightning in a bottle because all these people are nostalgic for when YouTube was nascent and, like, the culture was cooler. I think it also depends. They need, like, four other people to put on there with him, right, so that they can keep people there. And so that they yeah. can get a sense of growth and people aren't just downloading an app to watch one thing, which is kind of death, you know. But if they can get more people like him where it's aimed towards problematic sort of sh- shitty 13-year-olds, and there's plenty of content for those guys. If they get all those guys, then I, I think that makes sense. I mean, Ice Poseidon is doing this too, you know, out in Los Angeles. The guy that Coin Talk guest and famous no-coiner Adrian Chen wrote a New York article about, you know, that guy who... He's getting swatted and does a lot of like uh, live streaming stuff where he just plays pranks on people. That guy is moving to decentralized platform too. He's he's leaving YouTube as well. So I think what happened was basically a lot of uh, I don't know where the money came from, but some amount of money came and they just were trying to sell these guys on. Hey, you know you don't have to be beholden to YouTube anymore. Like you can come do this, and here's like X number of private equity or VC dollars and uh, you help us launch this platform and some will work maybe but like most of them probably won't and we'll just see those guys on YouTube again but uh, it seems to be an actual trend where people who are frustrated with this thing are going towards a decentralized model and work for Jordan Peterson too they they almost convinced him to leave yeah I mean also especially if a big part of your business ends up being Patreon anyway why do you need to host on YouTube if you already have an audience? Well, because you have um, to grow that audience somehow. <laughs> yeah. Right. But for someone like PewDiePie, who has the largest audience in YouTube history, at some point, like, is growth really more valuable than just increasing how much money you can make off people? I mean, it, it's pretty wild to me. I watch his show. I, I, I'm sort of fascinated by these top YouTubers. How much work he has to do shilling stuff to get paid. It's like, it's not like he's like just doing his show and he gets paid. He has to like do promos left and right. But isn't he going to keep doing that? Uh, I have no idea. I mean, I would kind of assume that it's more like listener supported now and you oh, tip no. him with the He toes. makes his money through pimping shit out on there, you know, like, you know, like toys and stuff like that. That's how he makes He get his, his rates like $140,000 per like thing he does per yeah, promo. So. Yeah. Yeah, well, and then I also wonder, because so much of that show, I mean, you describe him as like a shit poster. I, I actually like, I mean, I think he's talented at what he does, um, but a lot of it is about YouTube culture. It's sort of like a like snarky news show about other YouTubers, and that's like how they draw traffic, as they all get in like beefs with each other. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, it's, like that's, rap. it's like rap without the rapping. I mean, that's what Jake Paul does too, right? Like he just gets in fights with other YouTubers. And... So if you leave YouTube, then does the focus of the show become D-Live culture? Does it change? Is it still making fun of YouTube, but from outside of YouTube instead of within YouTube? Yeah, see, that doesn't quite work then, because then like the algorithm doesn't pump in their responses and stuff like that. Exactly. So. 
you break the system. It has to all go to D. Yeah, I think that I don't know. I I think this is an experiment for him. And do you think that other young live streamers who are not as successful will see him coming to D D Live and be like, "That's that's like where the open grass is. I should go over there. I can make I can make my way over there, and there's less competition." Well, they shouldn't because you know the the other question I have is like, all right, so let's say that I have a toy company and I want PewDiePie to mention it on the air, right? Yeah. I'm is it Picasso tiles? I'm just yeah, Picasso tiles. Uh, the cheaper version of magnet tiles. I'm not going to pay for. I came home so excited, and I was like to my wife, I was like, Jay told me that there's a bootleg knockoff of those expensive tiles. And did you get them? I have oh. not gotten them yet, but I, I hope uh, I hope to. I would say that uh, oh yeah, those tiles are really expensive. The Picasso tiles are still expensive, but not as expensive. I if I was if I was shilling Picasso tiles on. PewDiePie, I would pay much less for shilling Picasso tiles on DLive, wouldn't you? I mean, I would just be like, look, the whole point is Hell like yeah. the biggest video website in the world versus like this weird thing that I don't understand that might all be Nazis. You know, like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do the second one. Or I'll pay you a lot less for it. Yeah. No, I mean it's not something that people really talk about with all this move everything to decentralized platforms is like what moves the audience to decentralized platforms because they still have to make money. But I do think that there's a different future where it's much, much smaller audience, uh, much, much smaller audiences support these creators, but they give a lot more. And that is like a token future. And I don't know, maybe PewDiePie would rather just have like tip income and not deal with the bullshit. I could imagine it. Maybe he's already rich. Yeah. Maybe it's just like a, I can't do another read. He's definitely already rich. Um, maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe this is his shot at like making five hundred million instead of having like forty million or however much money he has. I mean, knowing what we know about crypto and all the dumb fortunes that have been built, if you're like a scenario where, let's say PewDiePie takes, let's say he got paid five million in tokens to do this show for a year, right? Current value of this token, $5 million. And somehow this shitcoin, possibly because PewDiePie does this show, goes 10x in the next year. Kind of believable if it's a shitcoin. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. PewDiePie guy. Who knows? Maybe it already yeah. did. Like, have we even looked at the, what this, is DLive token something that even trades? It kind of reminds me of when Ledger was trading that like weird hero shitcoin. And he was like, eh, it's not really available yet. But if I do, I have like, $20,000 worth of it. Wait, what was it? It was when you were on break for a week. Ledger was playing this like gambling oh, yeah, yeah, game yeah, yeah, and had like yeah, tons yeah, of the yeah, token, yeah. but it was just starting to trade. So it was like all kind of theoretical. Like I'm guessing that, that PewDiePie has an outrageous amount of this coin that is basically worth nothing right yeah. now, but could easily go 100x. So maybe it's not a bad gamble. Maybe we're going to be hearing he's like the ninth richest person in the world as the result of this. Who knows? Um, Oh, wait, okay, so I, I'm reading a little bit about it, and PewDiePie said he would donate between ten dollars and $50,000 worth of Lino points, that's what they're called, L-I-N-O points, to 100 content creators on the site during his first fat live stream, which is set for April 14th at 1 p.m. Eastern. His DLive account has amassed roughly 85,000 followers. His fans have donated more than $23,000 to support the channel, which to him is absolutely nothing. Jay, I have three words for you. Streaming airdrop festival. <laughs> That's basically what this is, right? Oh, yeah. We don't know that PewDiePie's involvement in this extends like significantly past 
doing a massive air That's drop. That's what I think it probably is. If he deletes all his old videos off of YouTube, then I'll start believing it. But yeah, then but you'll I believe. don't believe this. I think this is just him doing like a month of this and then going back to YouTube. All right, before we get out of here, we need uh, we need get Gambling Kang in the house one more time. If a man just came into a bunch of Bitcoin and was betting on the NBA Finals, none of this investment advice, NBA playoffs, uh, what, what are you liking out there? Um, I, I mean, the Warriors are going to win, but, you know. Not great value for that, that bet. No, though. so you can't really – you have to bet individually. Individual games. And I was series. thinking about just b- betting the Warriors to win every game. Yeah, but that's just every game bet the Warriors. That's not any different. It'll probably be worse, honestly, because they're going to be like, what are they tonight? They must be like minus two fifty or something like that. So you have to bet two fifty to win a hundred. Yeah, and after they sweep the Clippers, it's only going to get more extreme. Yeah, I, mean, I would. I, I think I would see what the Rockets' odds are at. Rockets were, I think, about eight to one. To win the finals before before tip off in the first game. Oh yeah, that seems okay. And before they lost by twenty two last night, I would have taken like a long long shot at Utah just because they were playing so well. And on the East, I have no idea. I mean, I thought Philly might have a chance, but then MB got hurt, and then I mean, and this is not that I think they were going to win. This is just I thought the odds might be okay, and then they got blown out by the Nets. And uh, Toronto lost game one <laughs> to Orlando. So if you like Toronto, maybe now is the time to do it, even though I don't think the odds have swung that much. Um, at least there's some budging of the odds because I think people are probably not betting them as much. Or, you know, if you're down 0-1 in a series, obviously your odds swing a little bit. But uh, I don't think they should have lost that game, even though Kyle Lowry scored zero points. Yeah, I kind of was also liking like just taking all all of the dogs in the East and just assuming that like one of these supposedly decent teams is yeah. like due for a complete collapse. That, that, that's what I did on day one of the playoffs, which was Saturday. I just bet all the underdog money lines and two of the three hit and uh, did pretty well. But um, then I did that again yesterday and they all lost. So. Uh. I feel like I would only do that in the East. I, I'll, in the West, I'm take I'm 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 favorites in the West. Dogs. Yeah, the Clippers were plus nine hundred <laughs> to win game one. <laughs> and, uh, I did bet that for a small amount. <laughs> it's like maybe they could surprise them. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, okay, cool. All right, I'll see you next week. Um, we're taping this on Monday. I'm taping uh, with David Z. Morris later this week. Pick up Radical Markets and read it. We should have that up in the next week. See you next week. This episode of Coin Talk was taped Monday, April 15th at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Bitcoin price index was $5,007. That was Coin Talk. Thanks so much for listening. We're edited by James Nicholson. My co-host is Jay Kang. You can get in touch with us. Hi at Cointalk.show. All of our episodes are at medium.com slash cointalk. That includes full transcripts. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week.